do you think you can get back to your traditional form? Um, I'm sorry, I'm trying to get this. Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, the, the second Tommy John is something that for a long time was like super scary, you know, uh, for a long time, the first Tommy John was, it ended a lot of careers. A lot of guys never got back after their first Tommy John, but you know, as time goes on and science gets better and, and you know, the doctor, the, the doc that's done both mine is, is the best guy in the world. So, um, you know, we have confidence in it. I think Jameson Talion, who just signed with the Cubs for either 68 or 72 million on a four-year deal is, is on his second Tommy John. Um, you know, there's a few guys that, that have done it and, uh, it's just part of the game, man. You're trying to throw a ball as hard as you can and, and, you know, you're relying on a ligament that's that big around. So, uh, you stitch it back up, get back to work and, and try and put your body in a, in a position to last, you know, longer than it did the last time. And, you know, at the end of the day, every, every day that you get to play major league baseball or, or every year, every season, every start, however you want to look at it, it is something that, uh, is extremely special, but also something that a lot of people, you know, dream about and, and didn't get to, to get there. So, you know, to have a second surgery and say, well, I'm just done. I don't think is something that is in kind of my, my personality or, or anything that, that I would like take for granted that, Oh, I, I don't want to do this anymore. You know, I've had to rehab for two full years. It's like, uh, I've gotten to play in the big leagues for five seasons. So, uh, you know, you keep rehabbing and, and keep going. You're young. Do you, do you, have confidence you mentioned confidence before i want you to start there again but the you know key to athletics and performing at your level is confidence so uh -huh. where is your confidence level right now with what you're experiencing in rehab after your second tommy john what are the doctors telling you and then i want you to end it walker bueller by what are the dodgers saying are, are you going to have a home in los angeles when this rehab stint is over how many years are left on the current deal and, and what's the yeah. outlook look like for the future yeah i mean the, the confidence element right like you know, what you do, what anybody does, there, there's peer groups, right? Like there's people that do the thing, do things at a similar level. And, and at our level, everybody's pretty good at, at what they do and, and confidence and ability to handle moments and your heartbeat and things like that are, are things that a surgery aren't going to change, right? Like my mentality or, or my belief in myself because of what I've done or, or what I've told myself or lied to myself, however I had to get there, that doesn't go anywhere, right? So, um, yeah, I think in this rehab, there, there's kind of three stages, at least this going through it the second time, I've probably thought more about it than I did the first time. The first time I was, you know, 21 years old and trying to rip and run and, and get back and, and go get to the big leagues. And, and now it's a little bit different, but you know, the first couple of months, you're just trying to get, make sure the ligament has a great chance to, to do what it's supposed to do and, and get your motion back and things like that. And and then this kind of month three to six is kind of the, the toughest part, I think, mentally, because you can really lift and do everything the same that you would, but you're doing it all with no motivation to start playing on, you know, April 1, like you normally would, right? You're not staring down the barrel of a season coming, right? So um, these three months are probably the most difficult. And, and then once you get to the six-month mark and start throwing, then you have all of this like success coming, hopefully even, you know, at some point playing catch one day, the first day I play catch will be a giant success. Hopefully not that I'm going to do anything crazy or go and throw a hundred the first day, but you, know, you worked for six straight months to be able to throw a baseball again. So I do remember that from the first rehab of like, 
every day that you know it seems like you just have a lot of milestones that come pretty quickly which is which is cool and, and a rewarding thing but you know at the end of the day it's, it's about trying to you know be what you were before or better so where does that lie with the organization and and, and the dodgers are they are they up on you still yeah i mean i have i have two more years on on you know the traditional contract two more years of arbitration and then you know we'll see what happens obviously the the arbitration system is is something that um is starting to to get going right now and we'll have conversations and, and go to a hearing if we have to and, and all that kind of stuff but um yeah they have control of me for two more years and, and then it's kind of whatever and, and we'll see what happens but no I, I love playing in la obviously growing up in kentucky there's you know some regional teams or, or teams around here or teams around across the league that i would love to play for but um i think it would be hard to say that i think there's a better place to play than los angeles for the dodgers and so what happens um you know we're in january right now spring pitchers catchers start to report next month and then yep. games start in march in your area of scottsdale arizona do you report is it business as usual or do you stay put where you're at now and continue rehab throughout spring training no, I'll, I'll head out there probably February 3rd or so, uh, early February, and just kind of get into the swing. I've, I've always been a guy that goes a little bit early. Uh, so I've always had finicky stuff in my elbow, just kind of part of it. And you get out there with, with your team guys and and super professional trainers and strength staff and, and try and get some things cleaned up. But this year I'll be out there probably February to August and uh, you know, put in another six months of work and, and hopefully try and get back on the mound um, in the big leagues in, in late August, early September, whatever, whatever it takes. And, and you know what, at the same time, like your second surgery isn't always going to be 12 months on the dot, like the first one, you know? So if it, you know, benefits our team and my career to make it 14 months and, and not pitch this year, that's something we're, we will have to look at if, if it occurs, uh, how I feel right now, I feel like things are going to go well, but you know, it's just, it's the stuff that you have to make tough decisions for, for the long run a little bit. I'm, you know, I'm still 28 years old and, um, hopefully I have a, you know, a lot of good years left after this. So, um, but those are kind of the, the two big, two big things. You either, you know, try and get back quick and, and that's what I'm planning on doing or, or you got to play this 18 month then long game and, and get ready for spring training the next year. Anybody specifically that you've leaned on? Has it been Turner? I know, I know he's no longer with LA. Has it been Kershaw? Is there anybody that's that's that you've turned to specifically for some guidance or just some to, just to keep your chin up a little bit? Uh, not necessarily. I mean, being back home with with my wife and and our families around it has been big for me. Obviously, it's kind of a, a lonely deal during the season where you rehab and the team goes on the road and. I've always been a big proponent of, of wanting guys to, if you're hurt to not get in the way, I guess when I'm healthy, right. You know, we, we travel a lot of hurt guys sometimes. And um, so when the team went on the road at the end of the year, I would stay in LA and, and rehab at a different facility. So uh, you feel a little bit isolated, <clears throat> isolated, but you know, getting back home and, and working with some people around here that, that I've gotten to know this year has been great. And uh I talked. I talked to Nate Avaldi a little bit, who's another guy that's had two Tommy Johns, and uh, you know, just getting to getting to talk to some guys that have been through the the exact same thing. I, I think is huge. Yeah, it seems it, it's it's one of those things that you know <clears throat> mentally it lingers in your mind, or it would my my mind anyway of like 
will they still believe in me? It's just like in today's advancement of technology and medical treatment, like you said, it's almost like, I don't know if this is going to sound ignorant, but tell me if I'm wrong. Do a lot of these cases come back better than they ever were and stronger because they went in there and done the work needed? Yeah. A lot of the first ones do. Uh, you know, I, I think at some point the, the whole conversation about the surgery is about the ligament, right? But at the end of the day, if that ligament gets blood and you rehab it correctly, like your ligament's probably going to be fine. It's the, it's the improvement that you can make in terms of your body or your mechanics or your understanding of, of what went wrong or why you keep getting hurt. Those kind of things I think are the big like improvements that can be made. Right. So, you know, once we start throwing and, and getting into it a little bit, we have some plans to go to a couple different, um, I guess you call them like biomechanic places that can really break you down a little bit um, further than just like the naked eye, I guess, um, to try and figure out what's, what's been going on or, or what I can do better, what I can do easier, things like that. So um, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting deal, but you know, at the end of the, at the end of the day, it's still a year of my career that I'm going to try and improve and, and try and figure some things out. Where is the ligament? Is it in the, is it by the right ulnar nerve? There's the skull. Yeah, so that groove, That's the I don't really nerve. know why it ends up being like that, but it's, it's right in here somewhere. So is it, is it considered the, by the ulnar nerve? Is that kind of the, the, yeah, so the ligament is called the UCL. It's the ulnar collateral ligament. So the the nerve and the ligament kind of run pretty similar paths. Um, so I had that. Technically, I had it repaired and reconstructed, which is kind of an interesting deal. Normally, they'll either take it take it out or they'll stitch it up. Like, take it out and replace it, or they'll stitch it up. They actually left my old ones in there put a new one around it and then stitched it up. And then they did the, they repaired my flexor tendon, which is like down under there, which has been torn for four or five years. So, um, yeah, everything should be shored up and yeah, have some, had some cracks in the foundation, I guess. And, and hopefully we kind of got those, got those wrapped up. Did you know before that night, I know you had surgery before, but did you know, that night before this happened, wasn't there some talks that you weren't feeling good a couple of weeks leading into this, that there might've been something wrong? Yeah. When, I mean, what initially happened in, I was pitching in San Francisco and I've been kind of struggling throughout the year. Um, kind of wasn't feeling like myself with my delivery. Um, and we were kind of spitballing ideas and, and trying things. And in San Francisco, I kind of found something that I, I felt good about. I still didn't pitch great, but the velocity was a little bit better and, and the feeling the ball was kind of going more where, you know, over time you build this feel of like, Oh, I feel X, Y, and Z, the ball should do this. And for a lot of the year, it wasn't really doing that. And, and in San Fran, I felt a little bit closer and through a warm up pitch felt something weird and, and, you know, stayed in through, I ended up throwing another inning or two, maybe two more innings. And, and it just wasn't, wasn't acting right or, or doing what it's supposed to do. And, so we went and got it looked at. Uh, I took some time off. We thought it was just a strain of my flexor, which is just another part of your elbow. And uh, when I started coming back from that, started playing catch again, it just wasn't reacting right. Another MRI figured out that, that there was a little tear in there. So what when you talk about the ulnar nerve, I had some problems with my ulnar nerve in college baseball yep. to where 
it would kind of feel like the funny bone got hit. It was like tingly. My thumb, I could feel it down on my thumb and my, yep. the top of my hand. Is that what you were experiencing when with, with the no, pain? No, mine was more of that just kind of like muscular or I guess a ligament kind of pulling, tearing pain, which is a little bit different. I've never really had issues with the nerve. I don't know why or how. Um, most guys have, you know, both um going on but i've never really had an issue with the nerve i know a lot of guys deal with that and they end up moving that i don't know if they ever did that with yours but um yeah mine was just more of that kind of sharp pull that that most guys that have played baseball feel it just kind of can be different levels i guess when you get when you're somebody i know you're competitive you're an ncaa champion an all-american a high draft pick um, touted as just a, a, an unbelievable pitcher in the big leagues, World Series champion. When you get away from the game as long as like this could, like you know that you weren't there like part of last season, you might miss this whole season. Does it does it still hold the substance that it does when you're in the dugout every day mentally? Do you do you do you long for it? Do you do you does your appetite for the game stay there? Or once you get away from it a little bit, is it almost like, well, you know, maybe life's okay without baseball? I know the money's good, but is yeah. it okay? Is it okay not to be a baseball player in Walker Bueller's world? Uh, not right now. You know, I, I don't think at, at my age or, or kind of, you know, there's still a lot of things that I that I haven't accomplished that I want to and. Um, you know, I think, I think for me, like being around the game when you're hurt is, is difficult for me just because you really have like no, no dog in the fight. You obviously want your, your buddies and your team to do well, but there's nothing you can do about it. So that's kind of the tough thing and, and something that I try and like step back and wasn't really in many games. It's just kind of hard for me, but, um, yeah, you know, I think you start diving into having a year long rehab that that kind of want to to play and all of that i think even grows right you you've been away from it um at least for me that's kind of how it, how it has been and you know I'm, I'm excited to go play catch on you know the end of february like you kind of have another appreciation for the the stuff that you've gotten to do for a career right as a ball player walker bueller and having friends all over the game and the league did was any part of you pissed off that Houston won? Be honest. The who? The Houston, <laughs> that won? Houston won. You know what? I, I know a lot of guys on our team and, and a lot of the media stuff is is pretty like anti, you know, them winning and, and disappointed. But you know, it's tough for me because obviously we don't want anyone to win but us. But I, I wasn't, you know, I didn't play in that in that series. I wasn't a part of that team really. So kind of the the rage that's like super personal i don't have as much obviously I, I think what came out was pretty detrimental to our game and and um you know i think the way that it was all handled was a little interesting in terms of you know kind of the lack of of suspension kind of stuff but at the end of the day like we're all trying to win win the last game of the year every year and, and so what happened in 2017 for me is, is something that doesn't have a whole lot of bearing now if philly would have won i probably would have been happier right but um yeah that's it's an interesting deal and you know I, I, those teams are our teams are so different now and, and the guys and this and that but yeah i think i think playing houston is, is going to be a big deal for for us in, in that uniform for a long time so what is what is it about 
the media part of baseball. Um, and when you mentioned Philadelphia, it gets me thinking too, like the way that Bryce Harper is perceived sometimes in the league or in the media of being standoffish or I don't know, arrogance. I don't know what the word is, but isn't the yeah. guy just an absolute stud for can't his actions and his play and going from, you know, from Washington and, and, and that press conference in Philadelphia and the big money and them saying, Hey, this is the future of the Phillies. We're going to bring a title here. I mean, the guy almost did it and, right. and, and he's right there on the verge of doing it. What, how do you perceive somebody like that when the media and the, the, the reputation is there of, man, this guy just is, is an ass or whatever. He just doesn't come across yeah. like that to me anymore if he ever did, but right. maybe it's, maybe it's a maturity thing. Walker, how do you look at that? Yeah. I mean, being a phenom like he was, I think it's probably tough, right? He, you know, he was in the big leagues at 19 or 20 and was on sports illustrated, all of this stuff. And <clears throat> I think it, in a lot of ways that probably burns like the benefit of the doubt for guys. So, you know, something that an eighth round draft pick that just got to the big leagues says the exact same words, the exact same phrasing, everything, <clears throat> you know, probably can be taken differently for a guy like that, but you know, their run they made and, and the things that are coming out of Philadelphia in terms of how he is as a leader there and things I think has really changed kind of his perception now across the league. I don't know, but this is just for me personally, like he's one of the toughest guys to, to face in, in baseball for me, I think he's as talented a guy as I've ever seen, but you know, at the same time, some of that stuff in Washington, you know, he got a change of scenery and, and seems to have really embraced playing in Philadelphia and, and being a leader of that team. And, you know, people forget how young he still is, right. You know, he's been, he's been a big time big leaguer for eight, nine years. I don't know how many years now, but you know, at the end of the day, I think he's like 30 or 31. Like, like he's going he's into his wide. prime. He's like in his yeah, prime. It's crazy. So obviously they're, they're building something pretty big over there. We're signing Trey Turner and, um, you know, they're going to have some, some studs over there for a long time. Before we get to Trey, cause I, that was one of my questions today. Stay on <clears throat> somebody like Harper for a second. When you talk about how he's hard for you to face personally, you have great stuff. Like there, we can talk about your stuff all day long. So what is it that he has that would put not fear into you, but makes you second guess a pitch or something? Um, is it his reaction time? Is it the way he covers the hitting zone? What does yeah. Bryce Harper have that makes it so difficult for somebody like Walker Bueller to say he's a tough out? Yeah. I, I think when you're talking about hitters, for me, at least it's like the perceived um, effort level of their swing, right? Like, he can hit a homer on a 50% swing at any time. So for me, it's like to get him off timing, right? It's so much more difficult than some guys that every swing that takes hundred percent. A harp swings really hard and, and he has great hands and things like that. But the, the timing of him, the range of speeds or the range of movement that he can cover is big. And, and, you know, when you scout him compared to other, some other guys, like, there's not as there's not glaring holes and, and things that you could do more than once to him um, to try and get him out. So, you know, you just at the same, at the same time, there's certain guys that just don't match up well with certain guys. There's great hitters that can't get a hit off of, you know, guys that get a cup of coffee in the big leagues. And then there's horrible hitters relatively, you know, by big league standards that own great pitchers. So, you know, at some point there's a matchup element to it. And then there's also just the fact that he's pretty skilled and, and can do a lot of things that, that other people can't do. 
do you, uh, this might sound, you know, going into the trade deal real before Turner is, is Mookie Betts that kind of a threat you think to other players? Um, as far as his ability to change the game with one swing, is he on that level of somebody like a, a Bryce Harper that can change the game in one at bat? It might not just be one swing, but he, cause he's got a lot of different tools within uh-huh. his repertoire too. Do you consider Mookie Betts one of those threats that would put fear into pitchers? Yeah, for sure. I, I think they're a little bit different in that Mookie's um, game is a little less like power dependent. Um, Harper is more of like the home run guy and and whatever, but Mookie hits homers too. So Mookie's kind of that classic five tool, really, you know, athletic, fast, can hit a homer, can get a single, can steal a base, can play defense, does everything. Not that Harper doesn't. Uh, Harper can run and throw and hit and get hits and hit homers. But, you know, they're they're kind of similar players. I think Mookie plays with a little bit more – like speed threat to his game, if that makes sense. Like he can turn the single into a double a little bit. And I don't think it's really about foot speed. I think Mookie's um, his IQ of when to push, when to not is as good of as good as I've ever seen. So, um, you know, both really good players and, and kind of superstars in our game, but Lay down. You know, pretty, pretty similar, but little differences, I think. Okay, so we've talked about this before, and I just got done on a big hunt in Arkansas with mm-hmm. some different individuals that there was probably 12 of us, Walker, and it was the same individual that brought this argument up probably four years ago in Argentina brought it up again. When I watch Trey Turner play baseball, I look at him and his style of running and fielding and hitting and execution and throwing everything like he is an athlete, like the dude is a stud athlete, Okay. Same with Mookie. I know you are. I know that you can catch a football and throw a football. I've, I I know that you've been in these situations before that you can play ping pong. You can bowl. There's all these, these videos of Mookie out there bowling 300 games. I'm going to ask you this simply for your opinion again. Okay. If I took 10, <clears throat> let's say 12 different sporting events, hitting a baseball, fielding a baseball, catching a fly ball, throwing – swimming, catching a football, throwing a football, running with a football, dribbling a basketball, pulling up and shooting, boxing and throwing hands in a bag, playing playing ping pong, playing soccer and being able to dribble the ball with both feet and run down. I'm not saying that you're as good as Pele or as good as Messi, but if I take the top 10 athletes out of the major leagues, out of the NFL, out of the NBA, out of swimming, out of girls softball, out of – motocross and MMA and all of this are baseball players going to shine in all of these athletic events over every other organization. I would think so. I, you know, I, the only way I can kind of describe what the athletics or the kind of like, I think most baseball guys are the most coordinated. That would be my, I don't think necessarily you have to be like the most athletic. I think fighters are probably physically the most athletic with strength and explosiveness and kind of measurable athleticism but for us it's coordination right but on both sides of our game there's extreme like coordination challenges pitching is a little different but like in basketball you play defense and you're you're sliding keeping your body in front right there's the coordination of shooting and stuff but on defense it's more it's a lot of effort-based movement and things like that 
in our game, it's that plus you have to catch, throw, then you have to hit, swing, run. Everything in ours is athleticism plus coordination. I think in a lot of other sports, it's a lot of times one or the other, if that makes sense. Um, or there's certain guys in football, like a wide receiver and a quarterback, throwing, jumping, running, catching the ball, defensive backs, things like that. But linemen aren't, they don't have to be that coordinated, right? They, they have to be skilled with the way they, their technique and things like that. But it's, our game's just a lot more based on that hand-eye coordination throughout the whole game. So to answer your question, I guess it was kind of a, a long answer, but yeah, you know, I think, and I guess like the traditional sport decathlon, like, you know, all these sports that everyone can play or try to play, I think we would do pretty well. That's what my argument was. This guy's like the greatest athletes in the world are soccer. And I go, wait a minute. If you put Mookie Betts and Trey Turner and Walker Bueller and Bryce Harper on a soccer field in the same uniform, I'm not saying they're going to win the World Cup, but if you put the ball at their feet, they're going to look like a soccer player. That's all my argument is. is You're going to look coordinated. That's a perfect word of dribbling that ball, kicking that ball, using your head, or you guys can jump and head. You can do all that. But if you take that soccer player and you put him – in a baseball scenario with a glove on to fill the ground ball at shortstop right. or third base or, or to get in the cage, which is the hardest thing to do in sports. Right. They're not going to match up. I'm not saying that Walker Bueller is a better soccer player than Messi. I'm just saying that right. Walker will look like a legitimate soccer player other than more so than Connor McGregor or Lawrence Taylor or anybody in the NBA. That's all I'm simply saying. And I'm not taking away how good of an athlete Michael Jordan is, but Michael Jordan was an absolute God on the basketball court. You put him in the hitting cage. Right. He didn't look too good. But if you take Mike Trout off of the bat and you put him on a basketball court, he'll look like he's been in the NBA for 10 years. He might not have, he might not be able to put the stats up, but he could jump shoot. He could dribble. He could lay up. He could probably dunk. You could probably dunk. Like that was my argument. And people look at me like, okay, well, Drake white, the country singer sitting there listening to both sides of this argument. And he looks at me and he goes, I agree with you. That's, that's a perfect way to put it. And then all of a sudden, you know, last week or the week before when neon Dion primetime Sanders gets the head coaching job for the Colorado Buffaloes, this article comes out where Dion's interviewed about football and baseball. He said, dude, playing baseball is so much more difficult than football. It's unreal. He said the best athletes are out there that are doing the thing. I mean, he's, he, he, the article had just, you know, it was perfect timing, but yeah. I just want to get your opinion because it seems when you watch you or Trey or, or any trout or anybody, I just look at it like, there's nothing you guys can't do. Like, I don't know if you could honestly look at me right now and tell me that there's a sport that you can't do. Like, I'm not saying that you could get on a horse and go win the Kentucky Derby, but is there a sport that you can't do that you wouldn't feel confident in at least going out and and, and competing? Uh, Golf. Can you, can you swing a golf club? Yeah, I'm an eight. How many, how many NBA players do you honestly think can legitimately be an eight handicap? Ooh, that's a tough one. The basketball thing's I, I think the best example of it is if you watch like celebrities of any kind throw a first pitch, right? Like even athletes, you have NBA guys come and throw them or, you know, NFL guys, soccer, hockey guys, like very few of them can even have like a decent like arm action. Right. Like the only ones that you're going to see that throw a baseball really cleanly are quarterbacks. So, um, and that being like the most base level movement in our sport, like I think that's kind of the the quickest like example of of that. I personally think the best athletes in the world are hockey players, but 
they also like in terms of the coordination of throwing they've never done that like every sport specialized in a certain way right but the i think the soccer argument's interesting because in hockey it's the same thing but you're generating it you have to generate all your power on a skate like that right so you don't have cleats that grab into dirt you have a skate yeah my buddy tommy i don't know if you've met tommy you have not met tommy but he lives in nashville um his was hockey and when he let when he gave his argument their athleticism and their ability to, with their eye hand coordination skating their yeah. vision their ability yeah. to move fast and change direction great athletes yeah. like they would be up there in that 10 sport deal to where yeah. it would be you would be hard put they put those guys in a pool and they can't swim or they can't golf or they right. like like that's that, that that's another great example like if you take be a, like when you talk to um, X gamers and these these high profile elite, um, what do they call them? Action sports stars, extreme yeah. sports stars. Everyone that I've ever had on the podcast or that I hang with, I've had snowboarders on here. I've had downhill mountain bikers. I've um, from like the Red Bull Rampage. I've had a lot of different ones on here. They say that the hardest, most difficult extreme sport is motocross because your heart rate is at yeah. one eighty for thirty laps. Your forearms, you're shaking, your core muscle, your balance, your vision. They say it's the, it's the absolute best athletes in extreme sports. But then you watch a snowboarder flip off that thing like Sean White or Scotty Lago, and you're just like, oh, my gosh. that's Or like Travis Pastrana, the stuff that he would do on a motorcycle. How yeah. can those guys not be considered the greatest athletes in the world? They're unreal. But yeah. I, all I'm saying is in my argument, if you take Pastrana and those guys and put them in that 10-sport deal – I, my money's going to be on basketball, uh, on baseball players. Yeah. And then, and then just like you said, hockey players, I think hockey players are great athletes, but it would be a cool thing to put together because I would like to see right. if Travis Pastrama could, could hold his own on a ping. And he probably, some of them could, but for the masses, for the consensus, baseball yeah. players as a whole are going to generate the most, the best athletes, in my opinion, all around athletes, in my opinion. Yeah. I think I think you should make a show. You remember that old show, Pros versus Joes, or whatever. Loved it, Bo Jackson. You could do, pro, Howard, you could do Pros versus Pros. Yes, put it all together. Wouldn't it be an uh, an awesome thing to have all this Olympic style thing to where you got to yeah. go do it, and then you get judged on your criteria? I think that people would would jump at that, be, and I don't know how insurance or liability would go into Walker right. Bueller riding a motorcycle against jo Johnny, you know, <laughs> Jeff Ward or Ricky Johnson from back in the day. Right. Because you remember when Jeff Kent did that? Didn't Jeff Kent with the Giants get in big trouble one one yeah, spring training for getting a motorcycle so. wreck or something? Well, it's like Bumgarner does the rodeo stuff, man. I, but I think they took that out of his contract because it's just it's what he does. Yeah, like that's like, uh, uh, there's another great there's another great argument right there walker bueller is these bull riders that are riding a 2,000 1800 pound animal that jumps 36 to 40 inches in the air spinning right. both directions how could you not be a great athlete they're right. unreal it's, they're un it's an interesting deal because if you take if you take the best in the world whether it's jesse lockwood or 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 uh chase outlaw and all these guys in the pbr and the prca are they great all around athletes? That's what this show, this is what these events would show because I don't know if Walker Bueller being as tall as you are and the way you're built, could you get on a bull? Could we teach a, could Mike no. Trout, could no, Mike no. Trout or, or, or could, could Trey get on a bull and learn how to ride a bull and be right. legit on it? You right. know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. What's his name? Bumgarner like has won serious money and he's a roper team roper. roper. Yeah. It's which is crazy. a very, which is a very difficult sport. <laughs> Right. So you got it. You have to wonder, like, if 
how many baseball players could pick up a rope and and go for a lesson for a week, get on a get on a horse, break out of the chute, chase down that calf, and time their right. rope and, and all that. And then if you add in team roping and being a header and a healer, there's yeah. all types of great sports. I still take baseball players as being the most all around gifted athletes, even though those cowboys look awesome. I don't think you're going to take a lot of those bull riders and put them into these other scenarios, and they're going to hold their own in a lot right. of different athletic scenarios. But again, this show could show that off. There's, it's a great argument. It's a great it argument. Inter- it interesting argument. Instrument. I just, you bring up Trey Turner now. Is that, it, be you know, when you go back to the mental side of the game, Walker, you're a loyal person. Um, baseball's a business, you know. Mm-hmm. There, are, there are franchise players. Like, you know, Bryce will probably never leave Philadelphia. Who knows? He'll probably right. there for the rest of his career. Right. Um, is it hard to see somebody like, I know that you wish him good luck and the city loved him and they're like, Hey, good yeah. luck on your next adventure in Philadelphia. But is it hard to see somebody like that go? That is such a spark plug. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, in LA specifically at that position, we've had a lot of, we've, I've played with three of probably the best three of the top five shortstops or eight shortstops in the game right now, probably in Machado, Seager and Trey. So for us, it's kind of, especially at that position, we've kind of seen it happen a few times, but you know, it is what it is, man. You want these guys to, especially when they've earned it, the way those three guys have go and, and create this generational wealth for their families. And, you know, at certain times, like the team that they're on, whether it be with us or, or somebody else leaving a team, it just isn't, they aren't in a position to do that. Now, I have my own thoughts on that and, and what I think teams should be doing all the time and, and spending money on players. But, you know, obviously for him to go and get that kind of money in Philadelphia, you know, all of us are ecstatic for him. I don't think we want to play against him or, or anything like that. But, um, you know, it's, a, it's an awesome thing for him and his family. I agree. And it, it, it just, it's such a weird thought that it's like here today, gone tomorrow deal. When you get in, when you get into right. a long-term contract like that, obviously it's going to make, put him and his family in a different position, but man, it would be so cool if you're on that team to stay and you could build around right. it. Like it, it just seems like back in the day there was, players didn't jump around as much. Obviously they didn't, you know, back in the old uh, younger days of baseball, which brings me to something that I've been having conversations with about, um, you're an NCAA all American NCAA champion. Is this portal ruining college sports is the ability to make money ruining college sports. I mean, are we, are we looking at something now to where, athletes have more power than the ad and the coaches to where you can just up and go now and leave a team right. and, and and go play somewhere else what what is your feelings on the portal and and and, and the ability for these sponsorships in college sports yeah now? listen i i don't want to be like the former athlete that is like mad that they that take them outside the you. guys now have it better right but i personally think that the nil stuff the pay for your name is great i think the transfer portal is great my concern is that they have both, right? Because now you're creating free agency on mo- like big time monetary decisions and you're putting it on 18, 19 year old kids, right? Which I think is interesting, but the ability to transfer one time and not sit out means that at any point you can go to the highest bidder, right? Now, if you, if you have one or the other, if you go somewhere and 
it turns out the other quarterback's better or whatever, then you can transfer or you're getting recruited and you have more monetary value to one school than another. That's great. But to be able to switch schools like that year by year based on money, I think is really, it's really tough and it, and it makes it, you know, we've seen kind of how that's happened in college basketball with, with a one year rule um, and how that's changed, how that game is. Um, I guess the counter argument or the only side that I like more, you know, that I like about it is that coaches can do what the kids are doing now, right? You can get recruited by a college football coach to go play at a mid-major school and you had eight mid-major offers and you pick to go play for this guy. You put the rest of your career in this guy's hands and you guys have a great year and he goes to a different school right now, a school now kids can do that, which I think is great. So, you know, all in all, I, I think the, the monetary part of this is something that's been lacking and needed and kind of, um, deserved, especially in football, just with the revenue that, that they produce and the notoriety and the, you know, everyone in the country right now knows who the quarterback for the University of Georgia is, right? So wh why shouldn't he be able to capitalize on, on being that guy? You think about Tim Tebow or Vince Young or Matt Leinert or even the Reggie Bush situation where whatever happened, happened, but for him to give his highs, he, he was the best player in football. Like, it, you know what I mean? So I, I think, I think on that side, it's a really good thing. I just, I think it's really tough to have both of them and, and it really kind of muddies the water of, of what a 18, 19 year old kid going to class, trying to perform in athletics, get an education, have a social life, all this stuff's going on. And then you add money and leaving and moving. It's just a lot. If you had, if, if you were writing, had to give me the perfect description or <laughs> dictionary meaning of the transfer portal, how would you, what is the exact definition of it? Essentially players can now leave a school and not have to sit out a season one time in their college career. So it used to be, if you transfer from school to school at the same level. You so if I, if I want to no, you don't have to redshirt, but you sit out a year. So typically I mean, you would redshirt, but whatever, like if I was at Vanderbilt and wanted to transfer to Kentucky, and if I left after my freshman year, I couldn't step on the field until my junior year. So then by doing that, you're sacrificing however many innings I would have thrown, all that experience, all the exposure, a scout watching me, all that stuff. But if you are if you made a calculated decision and, and that's the best thing for you or your family or you need to go home or whatever, that's great. Like you've made that choice. But now there's no consequence to essentially falling out of your commitment to a school that you made. I want to make sure I have this right. Walker Bueller's a junior. No, I'm going to say a sophomore because you're probably going to get drafted as a junior with your talent. You're a sophomore at Vanderbilt. You win the NCAA title, but at the same time, the Arkansas Razorbacks are putting together a legitimate program, and they take second or third runner-up in, uh -huh. in, in, in Omaha at the College World Series. Yep. Now, all of a sudden, this big booster from Northwest Arkansas says, Walker Bueller needs to be a Razorback next year. If uh -huh. we have his arm in our lineup, he's only going to be a junior. He's still yep. got another year or two of eligibility. He might go as a junior in the MLB draft. They could just put together a, a get all these 
big time money guys from around here and say, let's put together a pot of money to lure Walker Bueller away from Vanderbilt because we want to win the NCAA title next year on his junior year. So now you, you could go into the portal and say, Hey, I got all this money because of the, because it's legal now. And now I can go and not sit out a year, pitch my junior season for the Arkansas Razorbacks, hoping to win my second NCAA title with a title with a completely different team. Yep. It's and they free, can, they can legally give you the money. Yeah. Now I don't know how they have to structure the deals. Obviously I'm not a part of it. Um, I don't know if it's necessarily as um, cut and dry as like a major league endorsement deal. Right. You might sign a deal with banded brands, right? It's all right. I got to put up three posts a year. You pay me X. That's it. I don't know what the stipulations are on the collegiate side of it or where the money can come from. Um, but you are hearing about all this stuff, you know, the, the, whatever collectives, this, essentially they're um, like super PACs, right. For politics, except for college athletics. And so, you know, there's rumors of, of the numbers that Texas A&M paid their number one recruiting class in like the $30 million range. So you're talking about 40 kids, like, some of these kids are getting two, four, six, eight million dollars for quarterbacks. It's crazy. So there could be millionaire athletes off of a college career now that may never get drafted. There are no, they'll, well, yeah, hypothetically, like something that he could get yeah, hurt. But, you might, but there are million, there are millionaire collegiate athletes. Guaranteed. Okay, so how does it relate to? the recruiting class coming up as a senior in high school. Can you start getting paid? When can you start getting paid as a high school athlete? Once you commit? I believe it's when you arrive on campus, at least that's my understanding. Um, you know, I, I know a lot of, a lot of the rumors I've heard about it. It's like kids will go to certain schools because you know, the, whatever the money is, say it's in a sport that the, the revenue is not that crazy, but the coach will have a local dealership. That'll give them a, a car, a lease for the three years they're there. I heard a story of some kid the other day. I forget. I don't even remember where I heard the story, but somebody kid went to a school, got a, say it was a challenger, right? That was part of his NIL deal. Well, so he got a challenger to drive around campus and then left the school because another school called and said they would give him a bet. Same deal, different car. He wanted to go, he wanted to go drive the Bentley. So he changed universities. After he committed to the the challenger, had already been had already been at the school for a year. Drove the so, challenger for a year. So now his one portal's done. Yeah. So now he's stay, he's stuck at that school, but he's, he's got a Bentley. He's got a Bentley. Got a Bentley. Lease. So there's a so there's a night. This is a football or baseball player. I think it was a football player. I, there's I a night. There's a there's a 19 or 20 year old college football player driving a, a three hundred thousand dollar car. I'm sure there's a bunch of them. Wow, times have changed. It's wild, isn't it? It is wild in a way, but it, on the other side of the argument, they're making these colleges so much money. Right. Like, so early 2000s, we had a, one of our trainers or guys that works with us um, on like the, the health side of our game, who works for the Dodgers, was at the University of Texas in the early 2000s. And apparently their athletics budget was covered for the year after the second home game. So the University of Texas athletics budget was paid for by the second home football game. Because of the beer sales, the admission sales, the parking sales, the merch sales, all that. The revenue was done. And Big it paid money. For, paid for baseball, basketball, 
all the women's sports, all the everything done. When, that's why that's why this football stuff is so so big. Big. Um, we're but before the before this new deal, we're we're college campuses selling jerseys with Vince Young's name on it, or or could the Tar Heels sell a Jordan jersey with his name on it if they or how how did that work in NCAA? Um, I mean, I can only really remember like as a kid, you would buy a university, you know, I have a University of Kentucky jersey. Is there names on them though? Yeah, I don't remember. I, I remember having, but I don't know if it was like, I think you could. I, really? I think they did. Yeah, but well, like I got to imagine at Florida when Tebow was there, all this, all the jerseys they were selling in the pro shop, even if they didn't say Tebow, were number 15. Right? It's still the, it's still representative of it. That's a great point. Even though his name's not on there, they know what wearing that 15 means because probably because of a, li- a livelihood or a uh, likelihood deal likeness deal i guess you should say yeah you can't use their name right but like a lot of the stuff here there's we had the national player of the year basketball at uk last year who came back oscar shiway like he's on a bunch of advertisements around town but you'll see he's in a jersey blue jersey number 34 but it doesn't say kentucky it doesn't say Kentucky. so that's how like a lot of this stuff is you know there's no licensing money or whatever they don't have to pay licensing because it's for his name and likeness not not him as a university of Kentucky basketball player. So he is getting all the money and Kentucky's getting none. If it doesn't say Kentucky on it, I, is my understanding. Whereas before you weren't allowed to accept any money as an NCAA athlete athlete. Right. Until these new Neil, do- I mean, you would get, I mean, I played at UNLV. So I was in the days of right after the big 89, 90, Larry Johnson, Stacy Ogman, Greg Anthony, yeah. Anderson Hunt, Georgia. Remember that? And then and then J.R. Ryder came in. Um, they were all still driving Jaguars. They were all still they were all still in that uh that Las Vegas money. You know, they yep. something was going on and, and then right. you know, Tarkani and there was a lot of investigations in the past. This stuff's been going on forever. It's just always been deemed illegal. For sure, For sure though. <laughs> my favorite my favorite like representation of that i don't if you watch like those e60s or whatever yeah uh or the 30 for 30s they had one on uh the running back that went to oklahoma marcus dupree i think was his name yeah and he was talking you know back in whatever the 80s he's talking about uh, one school off me 400 one school off me 600 it's like it's been going on forever remember the bo jackson one when the tampa bay buccaneers flew him on the private jet and and he didn't know that that was illegal and then they walked onto the baseball field at auburn and said vincent jackson you're deemed uneligible ineligible for the season because you accepted monetary value private jet flight to go to go on a recruiting trip to the buccaneers not recruiting trip but like a like we're going to take you in the first round of the nfl draft we want you to come see it like and then he told he told him he says if you draft me i won't go because he was so mad that they did it right Cause he wanted to play his baseball season. Cause he, you know, he'd have been up for the awards. He's already right. won the Heisman trophy. He had already broke a track record in the 58 five or the 50 yard yeah. dash, whatever. And, and, and he, he lost out on his senior year of baseball or whatever, se- whatever season that was because the yeah. Buccaneers illegally flew him down there. Yeah. That, that's also a weird deal. I don't know how it's changed with the agent side of it. Just, I have, you know, it's not something I'm really like cared that deeply about just, um, it's never going to impact me, but on the agent side of it, like if you were going to go meet with an agent, it was like very clear and very understood. Like, you know, I I'm paying for my own lunch. Like I'm paying for my own coffee. When you're literally meeting with someone who's going to take care of 
you financially for the rest of your career and they can't buy you a coffee. It's just like, yeah, these, it's just ridiculous, but when it shows you like, it shows you what kind of like abuse of that power or abuse of that, like how guys can be, uh, how shady some of these guys can be in terms of luring a guy to sign with them by just giving them money and shit like that. That, um, it's just sad that like those rules had to be in place, I guess, kind of in the first place. I think that I wonder <clears throat> if we're going to see Walker where a NCAA phenom is making as much money as Aaron judge his new contract or some of these big deals that are being signed yeah, right now because of the amount of money ever, that you don't it'll think it'll never so. go to, it'll never go to that length. I wouldn't think, but what I do know of is, is in college football, especially now, guys are getting offers for like to come back for their juniors or for their senior years or whatever, that they're then evaluating based on where they're going to get drafted. So, Oh, if, if a school, this school's offering me 500,000 to come play my senior year and I'm going to be a sixth round pick. Like I'm, I got to stay at school because I'm going to make more money. Yeah, I mean, if you're not going to go in the top two rounds and get millions, and right, but your draft status is going to go way down if you stay as a senior. In baseball, maybe, but in football, not really. Can you go out of junior season in football? Yeah, I, I, I don't think it happens much because football is so physically de- physically strength demanding that um, that extra year gives you because they go right to the NFL, right? We go to the minor leagues. We're playing against. 16 to 25 year old guys in the low level minor leagues. It's not all about strength. Right. But to walk into an NFL football field, everybody's big and strong. So if you're too small, if you're young, if you haven't fully developed your body, yet, I think that's kind of the, the biggest deal. Do you agree that the one year NCAA basketball deal is stupid? <sighs> no, because it's been proven that guys have been good enough to walk right in the NBA. Yeah, but right, you're like, taking a, you're taking away a spot on that NCAA team from somebody that could legitimately be a, a, a college athlete. Why? What, what does one year in college do? Why not just let them go? I mean, it's been proven that Kevin Garnett and Kobe Bryant and LeBron James can come straight out of high school too. Yeah, well, see, that's what I was I was arguing the other side of it. I agree with you. What I was saying is that basketball, being the one that has a one year thing, I think is the only sport that it really makes sense, right? Because it has been shown that at 19 years old, there are guys that can compete in the NBA, but yeah, it, it is interesting. I mean, it's a, I, I don't know. If you're going to give up scholarship many... money for an athlete, you should like, if you're good enough to go after your senior year, go, why make, why say you could just be one year here and go. Yeah. But even on and the flip side of that is the revenue that that creates for the school, right? Like True. to give that kid a $30,000 scholarship, like whatever UK gave John wall in scholarship money compared to what he brought revenue to the university of Kentucky is it's an exponential thing. Like you'd make that investment if you could all day, every day. Yeah. So if you had it to do again, would you want to be playing college baseball in today's world as opposed when you played? No, I I don't, I mean, I don't, I don't think I would have made like, uh, I I really wouldn't have been like a huge monetary guy either. Is it going to be, it, will baseball players ever see any anything come big time out of this, or is it going to always mainly be football and I think it's basketball? Be football and basketball would be the big. What about ones. Fe- what about female? Uh, I mean, you've seen some of the, the female 
basketball girls getting significant money. Uh, there was a girl at UConn or, or in Oregon, the two, two like superstar girls. Um, they got, I think got pretty good deals or have Gatorade deals and Nike deals and things like that. So, um, I think that's a good thing that, that it's kind of being spread. And, um, I know there's a bunch of, uh, like collegiate girls that are kind of like influencer type and it's less about how good they are at their sport and they could be really good or, or not so much, but if they have a following that, that they're getting NIL deals, which is cool. So I think you're just, you're giving people a, a chance to kind of start creating value for themselves earlier, which in general is a good thing. I just think having the NIL plus the one-year transfer makes it a little, uh, kind of a little more businessy than, than it needs to be for collegiate Mm -hmm. athletics. And the female part of it, you have awesome programs that get some fans. There's some big time programs, but for the most part, I don't see the fanship or the viewership for female basketball or softball. So it's almost like the mindset is, well, if we could pay them to stay here or get them here, it's going to help our recruiting. Right. If we could put up some victories and have a good program, it's going to help us for the future of getting better recruits in, into our program, as opposed to when it's the guys, it's like every show, every game is sold out. The amount of money being made, that's why they're bringing them in there. Cause the, the university, I don't know if the university is going to make a ton of money off of female sports is my point. Right. Which, but that's what I'm saying. It, it, it seems like a lot of the, the female NIL deals that you actually hear about, you know, the sponsorship deals that you hear about are, um, are based on kind of a following or like being the well-known one. There's also such a big, such a large talent disparity in female sports. If you watch, you watch women's basketball, there's four teams in the country that can win the national championship. Like you, you talk about, you know, the NCAA tournament in March madness at the end of the season, there's eight to 10 to 12 teams that are good enough to win. Right. You, th- you look at who's won the women's NCAA basketball championship in the past 10 years. It's like all UConn and South Carolina. And I'm sure I'm missing two or three school, but Tennessee, you know, they get the best players and they win. It's true. Um, last athletic question before I, before we go into our conclusion with the great Walker Bueller. Um, do you, do you look at, this past 10 days in American sports history with what happened with the Buffalo bills and Hamlin. And I don't know if it brought the country together more. Um, I feel that it did. Oh, that was a pretty good little, uh, is your computer following you? Yeah, I don't know what it, this iPad thing does. That it was like kind of cool. It, that was like a perfect, re- like if you're sponsored by that water company, <laughs> it like went right to the logo. I was invested in this water company. It fell, it fell apart. Oh, gosh. Um, how important are sports to culture, Walker Bueller, in the big scheme of things? Even though you're an athlete and you're there and you're playing it and you're a competitor, what did this last couple weeks show you of how we cannot take it for granted of I'm not saying, okay, nine 11 brought this country together. And I don't know if anything will ever bring this country and we need this more than ever right now. Right. Okay, we, we need to freaking nut up and become pals again, because it's, there's so much division in our country. It's sickening mm-hmm. right now. How did, how did it make you feel to see that happen? And 
you may or may not know this athlete, but how did it bring you together, um, bring teams together, bring unity? Um, do you agree that it did or did it not do as much as was perceived by the media? How did it make you feel as a person, a, a competitor, a professional athlete? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it, I think, I think first off, I, I think it's kind of the, you know, the, the glitz and glamor of like looking at professional athletes, right? If I take myself out of what I do and just think about like how people perceive athletes as this the, the perception of like all spoiled rich kids. You remember the movie, the replacements, right. Where they, they're talking about you guys are striking over money. And, you know, we went through that with the CBA and stuff like that, but, you know, especially in football or, or fighting, boxing, mixed martial. I, I think it's kind of under undersold a little bit, like the, the risk that athletes put themselves through every, every game, right? Like, that the, the fact that that hasn't happened before on an NFL field is like shocking to me, right? You see these guys hurt their knees and things like that. And there's kind of a, not a, I don't know. It's known. It's it, people are desensitized to that. Right. But to see a guy go into cardiac arrest on a football field on a huge game on Sunday night, is wild. Like, it, it's just something that you don't see. Like that's the risk that those guys take every time they they button up their chin strap, right? So now not to say that there aren't spoiled rich athletes and and I could be one of them, whatever. But it, it just kind of breaks it down to the fact that these guys are still playing a dangerous game and, and for the inner to entertain fans, right? Like that's at the base level of it what it is. And um I think obviously every athlete and everybody throughout our country now is, is thankful that he's out of the hospital and, and doing well, but still just a really, really scary deal. Yeah, it was, God, I don't know. I could go into my views on it all day long, but I, I, I just, it made me personally, and, and this is going to sound ignorant to a lot of people. I hate the NFL. I, I hate the game. I think it's dangerous. I know it sounds like I'm a pansy and people been playing football forever, but man, it just is like, this is this game is like on a different level of yeah. violent, even more so than boxing or MMA. Even though MMA guys are getting the shit beat out of them, it's like yeah. you look at the numbers of concussions and see in this the brain trauma that caused in this game. I'm just not a big fan of it. I never have yeah. been. I don't know if I had a son that I'd ever let him play after breaking my collarbone, breaking my tailbone, blowing out my my labrum and my rotate. You know, getting the shit beat out of me. And I was an average at best football player. And I'm not saying that take stop the game but man this was not a football injury something else was going on um you know within this within this kid's deal but um it's almost like it brought me to a point of like man i hope this guy come on man this guy's got to make it like i was i've been cheering for this guy i've been you you want you want to pull you know somebody like that to pull through but it's like the these football players if they don't die of a heart attack on the field it's a rough, rough game to where I, I have personal friends that have died and donated their brain matter back to the NFL to study that they were in trouble with short-term memory and long-term memory and these concussions posed on them. Just a dangerous – what you said rings true to me is that these guys are putting themselves in harm's way. I just hope that they're taken care of, like the country yeah. is taking care of this cat for since, it went, since he went down a couple yeah. Sundays ago because – 
it's a dangerous freaking lifestyle to play football and the, and the, and and the injuries and the trauma is going to last long after that chin strap is, you know, put on for the last time. And same with you guys. I mean, I'm not saying that baseball is going to have the big time injuries. There's been some, but everyday injuries, your guys' bodies go through a lot. So hopefully people understand that, that there, there is something to be said about what, sacrifices professional athletes are making on a daily basis between there's a big difference between like career altering injuries right like i'm dealing with one now and life altering injuries and i I think that's probably why he was embraced the the way he was and and deservedly so and but you know when you're talking about the cte stuff or or memory loss or head trauma in any sport like those are life altering things not not just your career right And, and i think understanding that is a, is a big part of um big part of really understanding what's going on but i think people probably didn't think about it that way until they saw that yeah that it was so you could not not see it right it was everywhere but, right, but then, still- there's, then there's boxers that die in the ring and you don't like hear about it right like it yeah it's crazy crazy like it did you don't it's not even on the map because the boxing is not popular anymore like well but it, it, i think it's also the perception that like they're going to fight like that thing's going to happen like that's going to happen so are, so are football players they just have helmets on like yeah it's a good point what have um what have you been listening to lately and hanging out chilling driving working out rehab and what what's been your choice of music lately we uh we went and saw a concert in la we went to the morgan wallen show in la and uh i was kind of already a big fan of of hardy but him in concert was pretty cool so we've got we're setting he's got a concert in phoenix when i'm out there uh right around my birthday so like my wife's whole family's coming out there for that so hardy's been my my go-to recently he's aw- he's awesome and i want to try and meet him when, when he comes out there yeah good dude um what have you been eating not a whole i got my tonsils out two weeks ago so i've been a wreck man i lost like 13 pounds 14 pounds so if you're if you have young kids out there get their tonsils out early because apparently it's so much easier than yeah. it is at 28 so nothing, nothing's been standing out culinary wise. Cause I know you're a culinary guy. No, we went, we went and shot some birds the other day and had cooked up one of the teals right that next or that night. It was pretty good. But, uh, I think either this weekend or next, we're doing a little Traeger smoke palooza. My, my brother-in-law is a big Traeger guy and I got one here too. So we're going to do that in a week or two and just cook up a bunch of stuff. And, uh, sipping on some whiskey in the off season. Absolutely. Every day. Absolutely. No, not every day. Not whiskey every day. I've been on the high noons thing. I've been, obviously, I drink a a fair amount of Bud Light. And then my wife and I are working our way through our, we have a, we got a barrel of Blanton's. So we've been working our way through that one pretty good. What, any wine? I like wine. My wife's more than wine. Yeah, I'll drink some wine. My problem with wine is that if I start drinking wine, I just like, I end up drinking way too much wine. Not to where like, I'm a disaster, but it just, like if I start drinking wine, like I'm going to drink wine until I fall asleep. And sometimes I just can stay up too long, if that makes sense. And I don't think my drink, I, I'm, I think to I'm drink the same beer. way with wine. Yeah. It's like, I, I mean to have two glasses of wine. I have two bottles and then you're like, why, how did I just drink two bottles of wine? You know what I mean? <laughs> you're not like, 
it's just not a, it's not great for me. I love it, but um, no, the high noon thing is, it's kind of been good. I feel a lot better when I wake up on those. And then obviously being here a little bit of whiskey, but uh, more bourbon for me. I know you're the, the Jack Daniel whiskey guy. The, on, the hey, only kind of whiskey is Jack Daniels. Hey, did you get, have you tried the bonded one they had? I love bonded and triple mash. I love them both. They're pretty good. Yeah, the bonded is delicious. Triple mash, they're both hundred proof. Yeah, triple my father in law's a big. My father in law's a big Jack Daniels guy. We got him one of the bonded ones for Christmas. Oh, I need to hang out with him. Oh, he can. He can drink some Jack Daniels. Are you one of these um, groupies for Yellowstone and all of the uh, all of the Taylor Sheridan shows that are? Yeah, I'm pretty hardcore. It? I'm pretty Are hardcore. You? Yeah. Have you watched the the Sylvester <clears throat> Stallone Tulsa King that Taylor's doing? I have not. I it's have awesome. not. I actually, I'm trying to stay in the uh, in the Yellowstone realm for right now, and I'm actually really fired up about the Mayor of Kingstown coming back out. I was a big fan of that one. Is that Taylor Sheridan? I think so. It was like last year's version of the Tulsa thing, where it would always be on like right after Yellowstone. God, that guy's got it going on, doesn't he? He's killing it, man. Killing it. I think it's pretty wild. He throws himself in like in Yellowstone and stuff, though. I like. It. I wish they bring that character back a little bit, though. The cameos. Yeah. It's like what Quentin Tarantino would do in all of his I movies. Know. And the yeah, Marvel guy was always in them too. Whatever his name, Stan something. So was uh, uh, Todd Phillips, old school, and and uh, in the Hangover yeah. and those. Remember, he was like the guy that rang the doorbell in old school and was looking for the, hey, yeah. I'm here for the you know what bang. And then, and he was in the yeah. elevator. He was in the elevator with the girl in the in, in, in the uh, hangover. I like, I like when they do that, but I did. I liked his character in Yellowstone. I thought that little storyline where they were doing like the the slide. I don't know what it's called, where they're sliding on the horses and shit. Like I've that. never, I've never seen one episode. Never watched it. What? Yeah, I'm being for real. Never, not even sniffed it not even tried i don't know you would like i don't know how you haven't that seems kind of up your alley a little bit i want i want to be the guy that stops thinking the way of <clears throat> of um in you know in pure transparency walker like i have an issue politically that people would speak out against our second amendment rights like johnny depp has and made a movie called the gunman and like uh Liam Neeson did and makes all those movies taken and all these movies where they're shooting yeah. up. I watched a movie last night with my guys here. It was called, uh, John Vick, John Wick. Is it Keone Reeves in that? Yeah. He must've killed 7,000 people in two hours. Like it was just like guns everywhere. And I'm like, how do these guys even in Hollywood even speak out against gun control? Like, it's like, right. what? So my problem with Yellowstone was, this guy speaks out against this stuff in the past and supports politicians that are against that are for it, but then goes and makes millions shooting people. Yeah. I wouldn't, I, I hear what you're saying, especially on like movies like that, like the John Wick shit, but Yellowstone's not like a, I wouldn't say that it's a super glorified action like that kind of stuff, but there's guns for sure. But it's also the West. There has to be some sort of like, that's what they're representing is more like old school gun ownership style. And yeah, they they push some lines and stuff and do some like messed up stuff on that show. But I wouldn't, if you wouldn't have said that, I would have never put Yellowstone in that category. All I'm saying is that the actors that are making millions off of it are speaking out against our gun rights. 
Right. I hear and you. I don't, and I don't like that when they're making millions shooting people with guns. Right. I don't know. Like, I, I don't want to be that guy. I got to get over that. Like, there's certain <laughs> things in my maturing as an adult that I should just be like, you know what? Just just chill and just shut up and just just enjoy the TV show for what it is, you know? Right. No, I agree with you. But I, I think at some point, like, the way we think and the way the world is now, it's it's different. Like, if if we were at the same point in our lives right now and it was 1984 and we were both the same age we were now, like, I think politically you wouldn't want to like, like in terms of social media following and stuff like that, that wouldn't be important to you. Right. But like for you now, at least the way you think, like, I don't think you grew up like wanting to be super famous. It just happens to be what you've done. Now the social media following the shows, the podcast, this X, Y, Z is your livelihood, right? It's a similar kind of deal. At least the way I had it in my head. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it makes total sense. It's just that, no, it's a great point. I just, I just have an issue with somebody like Amy Poehler saying <clears throat> guns need to be outlawed, but then she has armed security guards around her. Like, I just have big right. issues with that. I, 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 I look at it as th- this is what we do. We're responsible gun owners and you're trying to put all of us into this same bucket or basket right. that, that we're, that we're trying to shoot people up. And that's been my biggest issue is yeah. that that the, that the policies need that people need to start voting with data and scientific data as opposed to their emotions. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. And no, I agree with you completely. I, I think it's the same argument, Hunter versus non Hunter, right? Whether it be gun writer, you know, talking about guns or boat, whatever. But I'll tell you that. Have you watched the, have you watched the Steve Ranella documentary that they did? I know he has the big meat eater show, but he did a documentary. It's like stars in the sky or something like that. I have not seen it. It, it's actually really really cool talking about see like it. it's like hunting versus not hunting and you know talking a lot about like the motivations for hunting and stuff like that it's actually really really well done yeah i think it's cool that you could come onto a podcast and say that you went and shot a teal and cooked it and ate it with your family i think that's sure we took my wife with us she'd never gone with us she went out the other day first time she was using the benelli that you got me and first shot she takes ever at a duck she shot a redhead in Lexington, Kentucky, which we like don't see much, took me two years to find one. Like that was like my bird of the year that I wanted to shoot for two years, and finally got one. Got she it. goes out first time, bang! Oh my god! You mounting it? Yeah, we got the we got the little mating pair, so we're gonna get those put up. Oh, nice! But the only the only duck we have mounted right now is my first duck, which was a pintail. So between me and her, like around Central Kentucky, to have a pintail and a redhead be the first two ducks is pretty strong. Central Kentucky. I got uh, I got some guys coming to hunt with me from Louisville, from Jack Daniels. I don't even know why we're talking about it again because you think that Jack Daniels is not the best. You're a bourbon guy on that bourbon trail in Kentucky. I got to get you down to Lynchburg. I got to introduce you to these oh, guys. Lord. Oh, I'm telling you, there's nothing like it, Walker Bueller. There's nothing like Jack Daniels Tennessee Sour Mash Whiskey. Oh, we got to get you up. We'll take you to old Buffalo Trace, my neck of the woods, too. We'll we'll compare notes. I'm not allowed to. <laughs> I'm not allowed to. That's I, the I, other thing that sucks, man, is the, like golfers and these guys can get bourbon deals, but if we can't get them. The big why? Can, because they have to be – alcohol has to be MLB sponsors to sponsor athletes. So, like, I have a Budweiser deal because they're a MLB sponsor. 
There's like oh, some so it's like stuff. so that so that's why the UFC does their model now. Because mm-hmm. you used to be able to wear your own sponsors on your shorts and and in UFC, and now you got to just wear yeah. who sponsors the UFC. They just funnel through them. I could see the business. I, I see the business part of it. I get it, but I also am like, dude, these fighters are making you a ton of money, Dana. But then Danny's like, well, I'm giving them a platform to right. to to make a living. I don't know. There's there's two sides of that argument, but so going into this, we're a month out of report. You're less than a month of reporting to Scottsdale. Yep. Um, I'm pri- I want to see you down there. I can't wait to be there. But is it going to be hard for you to be there and not be able to? be on the lines throwing long toss and and or yeah. have, are you already mentally set up to be able to accept it i know you've had experience with it before are you going to be okay in february march walker do i need to come down there and have some long talks with you i mean i think both i think mentally i'm going to be fine but you're obviously welcome to come and, and crash at the crib well i love that place where 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 uh where's your favorite meal are you uh are you an authentic Mexican food guy around no. Phoenix? No, 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 sushi, no, no, no. Sushi, what are you digging? No. Dude, I don't eat anything that swims. I'm weird like that. I don't eat shrimp. I, don't eat I forgot fish. I don't about eat that. Uh, no, my favorite restaurant out there is called Fat Ox. Steakhouse. Kind of a oh. steakhouse Italian joint. Where is it? Uh, it's like Scottsdale area. What's the famous Mexican restaurant? Big one in Scottsdale where a lot of the players go. It's big. It's known. Big uh, parking lot. Almost looks like a church. I went there yeah, two I years ago. About, I've never been there. Uh, uh, I forget the name of it. There, it's, I think uh, it starts with an M, doesn't it? It's not Maya. It's something like that. Sounds though. like, yeah, that sounds familiar. Yeah. They got, they, they got a little great vibe going on in there <laughs> with their margaritas and their tequila bar and well, man, I can't wait to see you down there. I just got, I just left Oklahoma. Um, and I know that you knew Chase was going to meet us out there. Chase is running hard. He, he, he went to New York and he did good morning America in the today show. I think gets on a jet flies to Dallas to do iHeartRadio. Gets on a jet, flies to Oklahoma City, gets off his bus driver, Carl, old man Carl, picks him up on the bus, drives him to hunting camp, gets there. It's, he dry, I, I give him the pin of where we're hunting that afternoon when he lands. He yeah. meets us. Gary LaVox, the lead singer of Rascal Flats, is out there with his yeah. tour bus. We have two country music star tour buses in a peanut field walker in Oklahoma sitting there. Chase gets off his bus, comes out in the truck, gets in the blind, shoots a limit of ducks. We land. I'm not kidding. I'll send you the video. We landed like almost everybody said it was at least 30. My brother said it was upwards of 50, 55,000 ducks. They're landing everywhere around us. It's unreal. Um, oh, my God. Chase wakes up the next morning, hunts with us that day. We shoot a limit of lessers and a bunch of uh, lesser can of geese and a bunch of widgeon. His, he calls his bus driver to come pick him up at the field we're hunting, goes all the way back to Nashville, gets there at 525 in the morning, um, yesterday morning, and then had to film his video for Bench Seat, which is a song about his dog, Jack, yeah. who hunted with us. And he's, and he's Did finishing- Jack come with you guys? Yeah, Jack Hunter with us. He did Unreal. And then yeah. and then Chase was back. Like, the guy's running hard. But, I mean, that that whole lifestyle, New York to Dallas yeah. to Oklahoma, then to Nashville, just, he's he just pushing hard. Day. He came up and played in my golf thing in November. And I was like, you need a hotel, whatever? He's like, no, I'll just drive up there. So he drives up here in his bus, plays. We end up, he comes back here. We hang out all night, like, get pretty bad. And he just 
hops on a tour bus and goes back home. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, because they go in there and they sleep, and it's freaking unreal. Yeah, great. I, I hope his I hope his uh, new out. Al- I know it's going to be unreal. His new album's going to be awesome. So yeah, he's been talking about it since we went when uh, when we went hunting with him up there last year. We need to go. Me and you need to go to a show uh, this year, depending on what. Of, of I know. How I'm trying to figure out. out when he's going to be in Phoenix. Because we went, we saw him last year in Phoenix. It was cool. He was opening up for uh, for Kane Brown, so we had, went to that show. It was a good time. I went and saw that in Vegas. Big time. Let me see real quick. Hold on, Chase. Uh, Tucson, Arizona, on March fourth. That's a little further from you. Yeah. He's not in Phoenix. He's not, not cool. in Phoenix. I'm not seeing. I'm not seeing Phoenix on the new schedule. I'm seeing if he's in Los Angeles at all. Nope, I don't see Los Angeles either. All right, man. Well, that's Walker Bueller. I hope oh, that yeah, this. I hope this arm comes back and that it's you're better than ever. My boy Jack here, my producer that you met in Wisconsin, that he's going to sign a baseball for you. He just had like his it. third. He just had a shot of Jack. He's getting tuned up. Oh boy. Do you remember Jack? Come here, Jack. So he remembers your face. I gave him a mullet in Louisiana What's with my buddy on, Charlie. Jack How are you? <laughs> oh my. He said you're a dork. <laughs> All right, brother. Well, thank you for being on and uh Absolutely, take care brother. of that arm. Take care of your wife. Take care of your family, your dog. Yeah, buddy. Um, do you need me to send you some Jack Daniels so you can finally have some good whiskey? I mean, yeah, if you want to send me the fanciest stuff they got, I might give it a try. It's uh, all you need is the old number seven. I got the uh, I got the foul life one sitting at the bar downstairs. You don't open it. You need another one that you can open. No, I'm good. I'll That's Walker Bueller. This life ain't for everybody. The man, watch out for his comeback. He's going to be throwing gas. We'll be back with another episode. This is another episode of This Life Ain't For Everybody brought to you by the one and only Tennessee Sour Mash Whiskey. Jack Daniels, enjoy it responsibly. Never allow underage drinking. In the meantime, I want you all to listen to this song. This is my boy, Leith Lofton. The song is called, What You Gonna Do When The Money's All Gone. We're all equal, that's what I think. I don't believe heaven has a bank. Make good use of your time on earth. Don't make a dollar bill all this world Cause I'd rather be poor living off in a hole Than rich as hell without a soul Life on earth won't last too long So what you gonna do when the money's all gone I'd rather be poor living off in a hole Than rich as hell without a soul Life on earth won't last that long What you gonna do when the money's all gone? Say life on earth won't last that long What you gonna do when the money's all gone?